On today's episode of Still Processing, I am joined by our producer, Uriah Young, and we're going to go through the recent comments of Ben Simmons and his sit-down interview, uh, Rachel Nichols' comments on the James Harden situation, and also what in the world happened with NBA referee Eric Lewis. All that today on the latest episode of Still Processing. Welcome to another edition of Still Processing, a 76ers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Chavalella, here with my producer, my guy, Uriah Young. Uriah, how are you doing today? What's up, man? What's up, everybody? It's good to fill in and sit in the seat of Justin. I will do my best to bring some some good takes. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Justin, to the best of my knowledge, is currently airborne, so... Uh, we are boots on the ground here to provide uh, what 76ers updates there are in early September, which uh, are, are rarely any, and, and a lot of it today is, is Sixers adjacent. Uh, but it's still stuff that, listen, uh, the name of the pod is still processing. We're working through stuff, okay? And one thing that Sixers fans are going to be working through for some time to come is just the continued fallout from the Ben Simmons situation. And uh, Ben Simmons, once again, uh, put his name back into headlines after a uh, sit-down interview with Mark J. Spears, uh, Mark J. Spears of ESPN and Anscape. Uh, and they talked about, I mean, everything from the apparently litany of injuries, not just the back injury, but uh, his injuries that he's dealt with over the past two years or so to uh, his time in Philadelphia, hopes for this upcoming year. I mean, the fishing, like they, they literally talked about everything. Uh, but this, there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say like regurgitated information because there's like a slightly different spin. Uh, every time Simmons sits down with somebody to talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, but before we get into kind of, you know, uh, subject by subject, what, what were your overall takeaways from his, just deciding to do this once again before the start of the season because this isn't a first for Simmons. Yeah, it's definitely not a first. It reminds me of Zach when you are, let's say you're on 95 going either direction and traffic on your side slows to a crawl and you're wondering what is going on? It has to be an accident. But yet by the time you get up to the obstruction, you notice that the accident's happening on the other side of traffic going the opposite way. So it's like, we slow down just to look at this, you know, like we're Sixers fans. We're going in the opposite direction of Brooklyn, but yet, and still that's their problem, not ours to answer your question. The comments, it's no surprise that the guy makes excuses. He's been making excuses for as long as I can remember. And he just gives maybe a little bit more detail to Mark Spears in terms of when the injury happened, how it happened, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. I, I think he sets, he's setting himself up for a bad situation because I told you before the podcast, if he starts off slow, there's no more excuses because uh, if, if his play was affected by his back and his knee, he mentioned in the, in the article too, <clears throat> then what is it going to be next? I mean, we know that Stephen A likes to say, all right, mental health. What mm -hmm. is it? Is it mental health 
and back and knee? What, what is it? And it reminds me of how a former Sixer, a warrior, as you said earlier, uh, Allen Iverson never made excuses. He, yeah. he played his heart out no matter what. And and there is an, a, a graphic they would show before games where they would show different points of his body, elbow, knee, neck, back, foot, ankle. The dude played injured so often, but he didn't make any excuses. So it it just – Ben Simmons, to me, is the opposite of Allen Iverson. And I don't wish him bad. It's just like, man. No. Just play. Just play. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what yeah. did you take away from it? I mean, listen, uh, when it still comes down to it, there, there's a part of me that, that will always want the best for Ben Simmons. And uh, I think that just comes down to, like, basic human care, right? Like, just just wishing the best upon a person, no matter what you consider them. If you consider them a friend, an enemy, or somewhere in between, you know, just that generic wanting good for people, like, whether or not the issue with Ben Simmons is uh, a mental issue, which is you know something that, based on what he said in the past, uh, has affected it in some degree, and is something that uh, I, I personally associate with. You know, not in the context of being an NBA player, of course, but uh, you know, just with gentle, you know, general mental health struggles. Uh, in, in that sense, I do wish him well. Is that a part of this still? I mean, maybe, but the thing is that at a certain point, it, it just becomes an unrelated issue. You know, like it, it's, it's just a, it can be a true statement that is just separate from the problem, if that makes sense. You know, uh, whether or not Simmons or whether or not you believe Simmons is truly going through these mental health issues or not, because I know that's still been a, a question to some, uh, I think that's almost irrelevant just because it, the bigger issue is an issue of denial is what I'm seeing. Uh, denial in uh, so many different forms that has taken place for so many different reasons uh, that I put a lot of it based on how he was prepared to come into the league. So when you look at uh, how that incessant you know, desire to play point guard, how that's kind of affected everything. It's kind of a trickle down effect where, you know, you have set yourself up for failure, just like you said, and, you know, then you do face injury and it's a roadblock that you haven't faced before. Uh, you do face the criticism for not shooting, which is a roadblock you haven't faced before. Uh, you know, you do face uh, all these different just roadblocks that you haven't faced before in, in, in a career such as Ben Simmons. And so how do you handle that? How do you handle that adversity? And there just comes a certain point where you take a step back and realize that, you know, you have to adjust. And that's just the, the thing that Simmons has been denying. You know, there hasn't been that adjustment period, whether it comes to uh, how he plays as a player, what he needs to work on in the offseason. Uh, and he's he's said the right things, I guess, at certain points. And he's put out the right offseason workout videos. But we just haven't seen that uh, as, as a person yet. We haven't seen that actually develop so uh he he says uh, once again that you know this season is is going to be a return back to the to the ben simmons of old uh he actually said that and i wanted to get what you, you know what you think about this the version that he's at now because apparently he's so much more healthy than he was last season and whether or not he is you know time will tell but he's so healthier than he was last season that the version he's at now if he was playing against himself from last season and these are his words 
I would kill him. That's how I feel. That's Ben Simmons on playing last year's Ben Simmons. So what do you think? Do you think that that's just setting himself up for failure, like you said earlier? Or like, why would you even make that comment that's so extreme? Yeah, the logic is flawed because he admitted himself that last year's version of himself was injured. So, of course, anyone who's healthy is going to kill a, a less healthier version of themselves. I, I think he's delusional. I think y- you said you you have, uh, you know, you want the best for him. And and I guess I'm indifferent. Like, like this, the guy has put this city and franchise through so much. He, in my mind, he basically is a waste of a number one pick because now Harden is leaving. So basically we, we, we got nothing but disappointment and drama because of him. And the two first round picks we gave up. To. Right. And he didn't do himself any favors coming out of college when he, he filmed a documentary essentially telling the world that he was too yes. good to play in the NCAA when clearly he wasn't. So yeah. I think he's delusional. I think that Brooklyn, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. I know that sure. there's a topic coming up soon about you know him wanting to play for Philly again. I'll save yeah. my comment for that, but <laughs> but yeah, he's delusional, man. I, I don't understand. Him. Money yeah. does change people, and the moment you hire family to do a job as essential as coaching and development, yeah. he hired his brother. Like that was mistake number one. But we'll say well, yeah, I'll save I mean, the rest you know, of my comments for later. You mentioned the idea of family and, uh, you know, I, I do think that, you know, mixing business and, and you know, friends and family can often, uh, you know, bite people. You know, not every situation is, is LeBron and um, uh, Maverick Carter and and uh, and Rich Paul and, uh, you know, not, not every situation is like that, you know, where um, people who are friends with you know these athletes who are just celebrities like uh, they're obviously impressive athletes but these are like world known faces and everything like that like it this is such a large scale it doesn't always work out that way but um you know when you look at simmons and you mentioned the documentary one thing that i've always taken away from that documentary is is the just the it's it's the upbringing and and I'm not talking about his his total upbringing. You know, I I don't know that situation close enough to uh, to make any comment one way or another about his particular upbringing. But all I know is what you know has been presented to me. Uh, and and part of that is you know his father's you know uh, insistence on Simmons being ambidextrous and his insistence on his son playing point guard if he was going to play for a team. So that mentality bleeds into an impressionable child uh, who then grows up with those uh, opinions, with that understanding, with that mentality. And now you find yourself in the situation that you're in today. So uh, is it something that, you know, one day Ben Simmons is going to wake up from possibly uh, I, I, again, I do hope so just because on a, a, a certain human level, I do care for the guy, but you know, it's kind of <laughs> summed up perfectly the way that you said it, where, Thankfully, it's not Philadelphia's problem anymore because this is a situation where as much as, you know, one would want to support a player on their team, it's just the city was was taxed so heavily trying to uh, find any way to to motivate, to comfort and uh, was vilified for it, basically. So it's it's something that it's good for the city not to be a problem anymore. 
Uh, it's it's good for Simmons, I think, not to be in the city, although he shares a certain love, which we're about to get to for Philadelphia. Uh, and it, it just is it's for the best that he is uh, no longer in town. But if it were up to him, apparently, uh, he wouldn't mind coming back. So one of the questions that was asked of him, you know, how would you say you reflect back on your Phillies days or your Philadelphia days, I should say? Uh, I think it was an answer that kind of surprised a lot of people based on how the breakup oh, happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, he talks about how he had a lot of fun here. He under, you know, recognizes that it was time for him to go. It's like, yeah, I mean, when you ask out, it is kind of time for you to go. That is kind of typically how that works. Uh, when he says he, he left, it was good timing. I mean, I, I don't understand how that works considering that he says he was injured. He was unwilling to play. I mean, what's what's the good timing? Is the good timing because he didn't want to be there anymore, and now he didn't have to be? Is that the is that the good timing? Because how is it good for Philadelphia? Is my question. Uh, and then he goes on to say he always has a love for Philly. I think he did like the city of Philadelphia because Philadelphia yeah. is a is a cool city. Like that's yeah, it's just a, it's a cool city. Like who doesn't love? I mean, people can say that they don't love Philly, but I think a lot of those people don't understand what Philly's really about. They don't understand, uh, you know, what it's like being in the town, especially, you know, in the city for an extended period of time, especially. Uh, and it's just, it, it's a great city and it really does attach itself to you in like a wonderful way. So I fully believe him when he says that, but where he starts to lose me uh, <laughs> is where he comes back and he says that, uh, people always ask him if you were to be traded again, where would you want it to be? Which, first of all, is a crazy ass question to ask an <laughs> NBA player, just straight up. And who's asking yeah. him this? You know, is this yeah. is this like is is Mikel Bridges asking him? You know, you know, where do you want to be traded? Or, or the Brooklyn Nets organization are they asking? You know, where do you want to get traded? Uh, wh- who who exactly is children on the street of Brooklyn coming up to him? They're, they stop playing stickball and they just ask him. You know, where do you want to get traded, Ben Simmons? Like, I don't know who's asking him that question. But he says Philadelphia. And I just, in what world do you think that that is, like, do you think that that's just posturing? Do you think he honestly believes that? Like, what's your take on that, Uriah? I have no clue why he would be motivated to drop Philly as a place that he would want to return yeah. to. To your point about Philadelphia being a great place to to be in or as an athlete, Look at Trey Turner. Look at Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, the moment he wore a Phillies uniform, knew what For it sure. was. And he took the Allen Iverson road, which is wear your heart on your sleeve, give 110%, play to the crowd. That's all Philly wants. That's all we want in our athletes. Yeah. We want an athlete that cares as much about winning as we do. And to me, especially toward the end, the vibe about Ben Simmons, I didn't get that. It, it, he was so dismissive and maybe that's part of his personality. He's not the most gregarious and outgoing sure. guy, but I think for him to say that, I, I don't know the motivation behind it. it. It makes absolute no sense. And to Ben Simmons, we don't want you back. <laughs> we don't need you back. We don't want you back. <laughs> so please don't keep our name out your mouth. <laughs> Period. I mean, listen, you mentioned athletes like Bryce Harper, Trey Turner. Uh, I, I think you would have no argument if I mentioned, you know, Jalen Hurts, Jason Kelsey, guys who really just, you know, they're, they're just working as hard as they can. It's that real blue collar feel. And then on top of that, it's not even just that, but 
you know, they're showing the love back to Philly at the same time, you know, show your love. Honorable mentioned Lou Williams recently retired. Uh, you know, like that's, that's what Philadelphia wants. They want you to associate with the city and whether that is, you know, really at peak, it's a combination of that hard work and that recognition to the importance of the fans and certain people get it and certain people don't. Uh, but for those at few athletes who do truly get it, you know, that those, those special few who understand exactly how to relate to this city. I mean, it, they are, they reach a legendary status, you know, in the, in this, in this city. And, Fans will love them till the day that they die and support them unendingly. I mean, the standing ovation for Trey Turner. You listen to the national media and, and what the perception of Philadelphia is. I mean, who who would have guessed under that impression that Philadelphia fans, for a guy as expensive as Trey Turner, would have done something such as that? Uh, but if you are in Philly, you know that that's what this fan base is about. The fan base is supportive. You had people doing a standing ovation for Ben Simmons. You had him applauding his his three point attempt against a, a, a Chinese team in the preseason. You know, you had people who were so supportive of of Markel Fultz. Like that is this city. So I understand Ben's uh, and and I agree with a lot of the the very lovely things he says about Philadelphia. I'm just very confused why he's the one saying it, uh, and I'm very confused why he said that he would want to come back here because. I mean, would he want to come back to live in Philadelphia? I guess I could see him say that, but uh, would he want to <laughs> to be a basketball player in Philadelphia again? I just don't see how, why he would want that, and I don't see how that could happen again for many, many reasons, but one of the most important ones is that there is no more, and this is my personal belief, uh, so this is purely speculation, there is no more guaranteed way to force Joel Embiid to request a trade than to bring back Ben Simmons. <laughs> That's uh, you can <laughs> you can botch the Harden trade. You yeah. can trade him straight up for Nick Batum, Rocco, and Marcus Morris. And I think that Joel Embiid would prefer that outcome over reversing the James Harden trade, which is something that I've seen somebody, you know, so a few people discussing uh, since Simmons made these comments. I mean... Uh, the, the relationship, I think when they were here and people were speculating about it, I think it was fine. You know, they didn't really mesh overly well, but I don't think they really kind of hated each other. But by the end of it, it's they, I mean, at least Embiid kind of hated Ben Simmons. And it's not hard to see why, uh, just, just because of all the different times that the organization had catered to Simmons and not to Embiid, but Simmons was the one and people can say whatever they want about Embiid, but Simmons was the one really not taking it seriously uh, in, in terms of uh, being all in and focusing on the areas that you need to improve. So uh, for that, I, I understand Embiid's frustration. Absolutely. We heard his comments after the fact we saw the meme after the fact, you know, the, the funeral meme. Uh, this is a guy who there's no love lost between he and Simmons and, uh, if Philadelphia wanted to truly tank and move Joel Embiid for whatever pieces that they could get, then yeah, sure, bring in Ben Simmons. He'll want out, and then you move him. But that seems so obviously not the case. Uh, you know, we've seen many different reports stating uh, to the otherwise. And, and Paul Hudrick had a, had a good piece a while ago just about how 
uh, on the same page Embiid and the front office are. So, yeah, no, there's, there's no way that the Sixers trade for Ben Simmons. I'm sorry. I don't know who wants that, but it, it, I'm sorry. It's not happening. You know, it's just not uh, not a part of the future. You know, but would you – is there any package that you would do for Ben Simmons, or do you think it's just, you know, move on, everyone have a, a, a good time and, and enjoy your life? That's a negative good, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I, I figured we'd be on the same page about that. I, I just don't know. I don't know why anyone would want that to happen. I don't know why he would want it to happen. But the only thing that, and I've seen some people point to this and allude to this, you know, obviously Embiid's still here. The fans are still here. The only person really involved in that situation who's not still here is Doc Rivers. Now, Doc Rivers was not here for the entire controversy that was slowly bubbling that was the Ben Simmons situation uh but things did kind of move a little quicker in Doc's first year uh do you think that for Ben Doc was uh a part of the problem or the main problem in Philadelphia I'll just say that I think that the 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 problem started with Brett Brown I think the relationship he had with Ben's father was not conducive to the development yeah. of, of Ben. I think that started. And then when Doc came in, I think he was in a tough situation because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you come down with a hammer like Jacques Vaughn did, much respect to him putting his foot down. Uh, Doc was like, yeah, if Doc comes down hard and, and really tries to change things, he alienates Ben and Ben is unhappy and problems exist. But for, for Doc, the route that he ended up taking was defending Ben to, to no end, even beyond logical basketball reasoning. Oh, he doesn't need to shoot. Oh, you know, all that, you know, banging that drum. And then when the stuff hit the fan and he froze up and he couldn't even shoot a free throw, it all came back to haunt Ben and the city. And you know the rest. So Doc was in a difficult situation Yes, he was part of the problem, but uh, yeah, Doc Doc is going to be on TV now, so maybe he can explain himself better <laughs> during a timeout or it, something. It will be so interesting that you know if Doc calls a a Sixers Nets game, how that uh, essentially breaks down. That'll be a fun watch. But oh, you know uh, that he's going to be sl- slotted for that. He has to be. <laughs> he has to be. <laughs> he's got that circled on his calendar for sure uh i i do think that you bring up you know a couple good points to, to touch on the brett brown thing uh you talk about doc being kind of in a place of a, between a rock and a hard place and that i feel the same kind of for brett brown i don't think that brett brown intentionally uh did anything to i i guess a better way to put it is that it's just an unfortunate position uh, one that Simmons camp certainly welcomed, but it's it's a position that just allows for a certain level of coddling that just can't happen in professional sports. You know, to go to LSU and be able to coast, uh, only to go to the Sixers, where you know a, a guy who is a close family friend is the head coach, uh, and it's just a, another overly comfortable situation. You know, it, it just didn't do Simmons any favors. And then by the time that Brown eventually left the Sixers, and uh, I, I do think he is a good coach. I don't think it's an implication of, of his ability as a coach. Uh, I think he's a great 
talent developer specifically. Uh, but by the time that that happened and Doc Rivers is brought in, you know what? Doc not only can't continue those negative trends, but you're right. He kind of has to push back the opposite way. And when you look at how Doc has been historically, uh, he, he's, he's a bit interesting of a coach. He's not exactly, he's not what you'd call an X's and O's guy. Uh, he's, I guess what you would call a player motivator, or maybe that's, that's how he would like to, to view himself. You know, he's not quite a player's coach like a Steve Kerr, but you know, he's a guy who, a rah-rah guy who, you know, you mm-hmm. think that you hope that he can inspire guys in the, in the huddle, which uh, doesn't always happen, especially when they start tuning him out, but Wait, uh, you mean that the, personality difference. You mean the, 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 the infamous speech, come on guys, <laughs> come on guys. Listen, if they don't come listen on, guys. The, the first time, maybe they'll listen the fifth time in a row. Who knows? But, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's a rock and a hard place for, for Doc for sure. Uh, I, I think that we saw many different reasons why Doc didn't work out in Philly, but uh, I, I don't necessarily blame him for the Simmons situation, but I do think he impacted the Simmons situation. And that's more of a fault on Simmons than it is, than it is on doc. But uh, just because doc's gone, doesn't mean that right. the Sixers should look to bring back Ben Simmons. I think there's plenty of other reasons why uh, the, they should just never, uh, it, whether it's a trade, whether it's free agency, Ben Simmons should just be completely finished in Philadelphia unless he's visiting, playing for another team. Uh, there's, there's just no future there, but uh, going from one very divisive athlete mm-hmm. in Philadelphia to another, there mm-hmm. is uh, not not James Harden news so much as there was an interesting comment about James Harden uh, from someone who is somewhat close to the situation, and you know that's uh, the undisputed's Rachel Nichols, uh, who you know really is. Uh, has an in uh, with multiple NBA players, uh, does great work and uh, understands a lot of the behind the scenes that not everybody gets to see. Uh, but recently uh, she spoke on the James Harden situation and, and what exactly Harden is looking for. So uh, here's a clip of what exactly she had to say on the situation. I don't think it's a trust issue with James Harden, at least not for me personally. It's the fact that he is 34. He's not the player that he used to be. And if he can acknowledge that, I think he will continue to have success in the NBA for a while. Key is right. Guys want to play with him when he is motivated, when he is into it. And the fact that, yes, as you point out, in game six and seven of that series against Boston, it's not just that he combined for 22 points over two games. He had 10 turnovers. But he still thinks of himself as the guy from that game one. Or the guy from that game four, he thinks he should be leading the show. The reason yeah. why he wanted out of Philadelphia in the first place is that it's the Joel Embiid show right now. And he wants a different yeah. role. Yeah. He has to realize if he is going to opt in to a $35.6 million contract, that is the choice you are making. Mm-hmm. He had the choice this summer to be a free agent. He could have walked onto any team, written his own ticket. If he had decided, hey, I just want to win. It's time for me to win a title. I'll take a lot less money. I want to be a team player. I want to do what I can. Okay, Here we go. All right. First of all, before I let you go in on that, <laughs> just, I mean, preach. Like, 
Yeah. Absolutely. Like, amen. Absolutely. 100% on everything that she said. That was one of the most in touch to the situation takes that I have heard. Uh, for, you know, if you're talking about people who actually understand uh, what's going on, like that is 100% it, you know, Harden. I don't know if he truly does think that he can be the sole player exactly, but talking about thinking of himself in that height, I think he absolutely thinks his talent levels there. Uh, I, I do think that uh, touching on the fact that it was a player option is super important uh, because he, cons- you know, he certainly did have that opportunity to leave and go elsewhere if he wanted to, but he just has this certain vision of himself. Uh, and, and I don't really know how he goes about finding this perfect situation that he's looking for, but Uriah, what did you think about Rachel Nichols comments? She made some interesting points and uh, look, James Harden needs to put down his own James Harden wine and come to reality. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he's intoxicated on his own past success, but if he truly yeah. believes that he has... I wouldn't be mad at you if you did say that, though. But go on. Oh, <laughs> I just think that... <laughs> listen, you have to have ego. You have to have uh, supreme confidence to play in the NBA, period. And when you have the resume that he has, he feels that he can still play at that level. Now, whether yeah. it's game one and four or the other games, that that's where it gets tricky because... Uh, his performance is what's going to dictate the contract that he'll be given. Now, the point that you were making about, he could have wrote his own ticket that Rachel Nichols said, that's absolutely true. But at the same time, let's look at the role that he had with the Sixers. I'll be honest, man. If I was playing basketball, I would rather play with guys, other wing players like Kawhi and Paul George, because it's more fun. You up and down the court compared to Embiid, where I'm just dumping the ball and then, you know, my talent is kind of stagnating because of the style of play that the Sixers played. So it's it's tough. I understand if Harden wants to get out and run as opposed to playing with Embiid with this post-up style offense. But I just think that he's in for a rude awakening if he thinks that he's going to be the number one somewhere. It's just I just don't see that yeah. happening. Yeah, no, and, and I, I do agree with the point about wanting to play with, uh, say, wings instead of Embiid. You know, that, that's more so about – uh, the Sixers' offensive approach last year, which I, I I think was a little disgusting, if I'm going to be flat honest with you. Uh, horrible. Horrible. <laughs> so old school, and, Doc. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> listen, Embiid M- is just a magnificent player to watch, uh, especially in person. Uh, had the immense luxury of, of seeing him in person, obviously quite a lot last season covering the team. Uh, that being said, as impressive as he is from the elbow to effectively just button mash old school tactics, uh, I can understand Harden's frustration there and to want to go to LA and play with guys like Paul George and Kawhi. I understand all that too. You know, dudes from LA, Kawhi and Paul George are great. Uh, they compliment Harden's game a bit more. I get every bit of that. And even if you want to tell me that, you know, he he liked the idea of being able to get paid 
35 plus million as opposed to and it's a small amount i don't even think that they could have used the um the the non-taxpayer exception the clippers because they're they are so far i would have to double check the new cba is so confusing uh but i don't even think they'd be able to use that so it'd be very uh stark the difference between what he is making now and what he could make had he left in free agency and gone to the clippers uh but all that to say if you cared so much about going to LA if that was your true priority or not your true priority but your sole priority going to LA and playing winning basketball with the Clippers you wouldn't have taken the option obviously that and not that 30 million doesn't mean anything it's certainly you know 30 million for especially a guy like me would mean a ton but you know you're James Harden like 30 million is a lot to anybody but at the same time you sold out of your wine bottles in China in less than five seconds you know, you, you have plenty of brand marketing. You're going to have a career well past your NBA career if you do end up playing in China like you like uh, or like you want to. Like, if if you are going to force your way to L.A., there was a much easier way to do this than by accepting your player option. And that's just the truth at the end of the day. Yeah, conspiracy theory. James Harden bought all his own wine. Just to get the ball. Yeah, I, I <laughs> wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, he has the it, money. <laughs> but the thing is, the the thing of it that I will say is that uh, he is beloved over there too. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about, I mean, top tier, uh, o- almost like put put on a godlike pedestal kind of athletes. Like James Harden is certainly that in china so uh i could see it going either way but especially for and and it's fine i've had the wine it's fine uh for people who haven't had the wine before there definitely is a lot more excitement about buying it than for people who have bought it before i will say that uh so i i i could see them all buying it out it's but to me it it honestly doesn't even matter uh at, at the end of the day just why do you want to be in a place where you have to uh, scuff your feet and complain all day long when you had it in your power to change that situation? That's what I don't understand. That's the mentality that is so frustrating is that he would rather try and collect his 35 mil and throw a tantrum than take his legacy into his own hands. And that is extremely frustrating. And uh, one of the many frustrating things about James Harden's entire career. Uh, so it whether or not he can be a top option again, which I don't even know where he could. He's still very good, obviously. But mm-hmm. do, do you even know? I, I don't think the Clippers he'd be a top option. Where do you think he could go that he could possibly even want to go that he could be a top option. Yeah, any names of teams come to mind for you? Wow. Well, you look at teams like uh, the Bulls, who their situation yeah. with Lonzo Ball is, is up in the air. Uh, Harden could step in and, and run point for that team. I don't know if he'd be number one option just because you have Zach Levine. Uh, yeah. Miami needs a point guard. I think uh, – what's his name? Um Kyle Lowry is Lowry. probably – yeah, he's on the tail end of his career. Uh, Harden, I think, is a lot better than – well, not a lot, but he's still better than Lowry. Uh, yeah. I mean, any any of these 
you know, small market teams, he could probably be number one, but I can't see a contender anywhere yeah. in the NBA where he's number well, one option. And that's that's the problem that you kind of come into. You know, the one team that had you asked me three months ago, uh, the Houston Rockets would have obviously come to mind uh, as, as far as a team that he could go be the number one option. And I think that's kind of how he thought in his own head as well. Next thing you know, Ime Udoka steps in. Rockets are no longer interested in James Harden. That kind of puts the whole situation, you know, on its head. I do think Chicago is an interesting one. You mentioned Levine, and, and I, I do think that there is a world where Harden could at least view himself as the top option in Chicago alongside Levine. Uh, but the the team that comes to mind for me is the Toronto Raptors. Uh, if if they're and they're not contender status, but if you're talking about a team. And if Harden's going to go there, you would think Siakam comes to Philadelphia. But uh, if Harden's going to go there, you're talking about a team with Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, uh, Chris Boucher, mm. Grady Dick. Now, mm. is that a contender? You know, I wouldn't say so, but I do think that's a team that could possibly break into the top five in the East. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is a situation that I'm surprised that he's not. I wouldn't say surprised because he's so stubborn, but I, I mean, as we all are time to time, but he's really stubborn, but just Toronto, I think is the only situation that is so clear of he can be the top option here. And if that is truly what's most important to him at the end of the day, that's where he's got to go. But all this really just points to the fact that if he wants to get moved, either mm -hmm. the Clippers need to show that they actually value acquiring him or he has to be willing to go somewhere else because Daryl Morey's made it clear that he's not going to trade him for spare parts. Uh, and, and whether or not you think Daryl Morey's asking for too much right now, that may be the case, but uh, there's there's certainly levels to it where you can't no. expect him just to, as I mentioned earlier, trade James Harden for Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, and Robert Covington. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with James Harden. Uh, that's something that's going to be ongoing. One thing that is actually now in the rearview mirror for the NBA, some would say prematurely, is the situation with referee, now former referee, Eric Lewis, who shockingly retired in the <laughs> midst of the league's investigation uh, into social media posts from his family. And I think some of the, the inter social media interaction was even from Eric Lewis himself. I can't quite recall. Uh, but Obviously, the, the short of the story is Eric Lewis's family uh, or, or we'll say Eric Lewis's camp, right, mm -hmm. was connected to a series of social media posts showing uh, strong vocal support for the Boston Celtics. <clears throat> and then the Internet kind of did its job and looked a little deeper into this and looked at uh, some of the stats of Eric Lewis uh, refing Celtics games. And then even beyond that, uh, some of the facial expressions, even, of Eric Lewis mm. uh, refereeing Celtics games. I know and what you're talking about. <laughs> there oh was God. so much visual, but still kind of <laughs> nonsensical evidence that went into this. Where it was, it it always kind of seemed like, oh, it's ridiculous to to say that uh, a ref is being blinded by personal fandom. Uh, but then there would always be another thing that happened, and you're like, but is it really that ridiculous? So the NBA opened the investigation. 
Uh, next thing you know, Eric Lewis just decides to retire amidst it all. And with him retired, oh, well, why do we need an investigation anymore? The NBA just drops its investigation. So uh, what, what are your takeaways from the situation? And should the league have ended the investigation? Let's start with facial expressions. For sure. The, the, I forget if it was Boston, Miami, or Boston. I don't know. I remember who they playing. It wasn't the Sixers. It was, it was Miami. It was Miami. Miami yeah. Where uh, I guess a Celtics player went up, and it was like an and one. I think Eric Lewis kind of did one of the lean backs, like, you know, just trying to mentally get the ball in the hoop. And that was so apparent. And, I, you know, I – you know, I don't who you know nobody really knew who Eric Lewis was really until all this drama. And it's it's really, yeah. you know, for someone to be like, oh, I'm gonna do a background check on which NBA referees grew up in what NBA franchise market. It's like, eh, I mean, every obviously they're fans of the NBA, but sure it's uh it's disappointing. I, I understand why the NBA would do it. I would love to see the investigation happen just because accountability is important, especially when when I forget what game it was, uh, the Sixers had 14, something like 14 missed calls when he was calling yeah. the game versus four for Boston. So that that is, you know, speculation there. But I, I see why the NBA wants to preserve the integrity after the Tim Donahue whole uh, chebacle. Is that even a word? Chebacle? Yeah. That's not a word. Debacle? Debacle. What is, yeah. Where did I get chebacle from? I just made up a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, yeah that, that's a, a new one so we'll have to find a definition for that yeah but i understand the the nba wanting to sweep this under the rug but at the end yeah. of the day i hope that they really vet future reps it's so hard with sports betting now being so infused into to everyday sports fandom yeah. life but it, it's a disappointing situation what, what do you think listen they're Sometimes comes a point where an organization uh, and typically their head coach will reach a point where they're firing that person. However, to preserve appearances, it is referred to as mutually agreeing to part ways. And you cannot convince me that that is not what this is. Uh, in in my mind, and now you talked about you know what your conspiracy theory was earlier. Here's mine: the investigation closed because it was complete, and the best course of action, at least the league seemed to agree, would be for Eric Lewis to no longer be in his position. However, instead of firing a ref in disgrace. And you know you you touched on this as well. Uh, it's, it's it's theoretically much smaller a story if oh he just decided to retire yeah and then close the book on the investigation if he's not active why do we need the investigation? Uh, that is a theoretically much more peaceful resolution uh, than admitting that a ref was influenced by fandom. Uh, and having to deal with that fallout, which would be immense. So this is uh, a, a very uh, just 
sweep this under the rug kind of move by the league, which happens so very often. It's just not usually this public and obvious. Uh, and <laughs> it's something that I think I do agree. I hope that they do a better job betting in the future on uh, who, who they're bringing in to ref the league because it absolutely does matter. Obviously we never thought that we'd be in this place and yet here we are. Uh, But you know, it's just a matter of, it's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous conversation. It's a ridiculous topic. It's ridiculous that this happened in the first place. Why was this even allowed to happen? The league choosing to ignore it. It just, it, it, Listen, there's always going to be controversy in this league. There was under David Stern. There was so much behind-the-scenes stuff that we're not even ever going to know, okay? And so for Adam Silver to have controversy as well, that's not shocking. What is shocking is that it's been handled so poorly. Uh, I don't think that they should have closed the investigation, only because I don't think that they should have had Eric Lewis retire. Only because I think that it seemed pretty evident that what he was being accused of was happening. So this seems just like a uh, attempt to put a neat bow on a messy situation, uh, and the whole thing's just ridiculous. The whole th- the league is ridiculous at this point with a lot of the stuff that's happening, and this is just one more ridiculous case. So uh, it it is what it is. Don't let it happen again because this is it's frankly embarrassing. Uh, and to Eric Lewis, uh, I don't know. In, enjoy uh, the upcoming Boston Celtics season. That's that's all I got to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope he enjoys retirement. <laughs> yeah, sure. Best of luck, absolutely. Eric Lewis. We don't have yeah. to worry about you sl- swaying games in favor of Boston in the future anymore. Uh, yeah. So it, it'll be. I don't know, man. It's it's. I don't think this is going to have a lasting impact on uh, the the referee game in the NBA in the future. Uh, maybe it does impact the hiring process a bit, but I think that the league did what they could to bury it, and I think that that's about all that we're going to see from this situation going forward. So I don't know. Maybe Eric Lewis has a tell-all book coming out in the next fifteen years or so, which. Uh, could be interesting read. So uh, if Eric Lewis does drop his book, definitely go give that a read. And Eric Lewis, give me a shout out for mentioning the idea of writing a book because it's my idea now. So you owe that. You owe me that much. Okay. For now, that has been the end of Still Processing. It is, listen, it's September 2nd. We are dragging into the start of the regular season. Getting hungry, watching Tyrese Maxey uh, Instagram live videos where he and George and Yang are impersonating Joel Embiid. Uh, we're living however we can. We are processing as best we can. Uh, but we're going to check out on the next episode of Still Processing. For now, I've been Zach Chavalella. He's been Uriah Young. And like each and every one of you out there, we are still processing.